right, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. Thanks, Chris, uh, for that. When you show up, I'm going to make you do stuff. So, <laughs> glad to see Lonzo here, too. If you haven't seen Lonzo yet, it's hard to miss. He is looking official. I'm glad he's here. I have a big smile to see this guy back in town. This man, not this guy. He's a man, for sure. And I'm thankful to thank you that you're here this morning. <laughs> All right. Give him a stage. He'll say something. All right. Well, I'm glad to be here with you, Uh, and today we're going to be coming out of James chapter 1, and we're talking business as usual, but before we get that, I want to ask you a question. Do you know someone that is difficult to shop for? I know typically we're not buying gifts on July 4th. If you're friends with Rich Mason, he tells you that the reason for the season is treason, right? That's what July 4th is all about. It's only treason if you lose, right? Okay. Anyway, you don't usually buy gifts on July 4th, right? Um... But I'm thinking about the people that are hard to buy gifts for. You might have someone like that in your family. And today, this man is going to symbolize the man who has everything, okay? If you know this guy, I don't know him, but I typed in four, like, hard to buy gifts for people, and this guy's picture came up. Okay, as you can see, this guy's got a, he's got a big old fire behind him. He's got a bunch of candles. He's got everything, okay? So it's difficult to buy gifts for this man, Okay, and, and as I was reading these lists of what to buy for the person who has everything, I stumbled upon this Forbes.com list from 19, or excuse me, 2019. And they had several different items on there for the gifts to buy the person who has everything, but I picked my favorite ones, okay? So keep in mind, these are gifts you buy for this guy who has everything. Cheese knives. Golden cheese knives. Who wants these? Don't raise your hand. Okay. I'll make fun of you if you want. It's fine if you like these. It's okay. I'm not making fun of you for that. But the man who has everything, you're going to buy him some gold cheese knives. Okay? One of the other things is blue suede driving shoes. I want to know where you keep the driving shoes. Like, you have a glove box. Is there a shoe box within some fancy car? I don't know. But these are just for driving these blue suede shoes, maybe they're really comfortable. And again, if you have these, no judgment, okay? If that's what makes you happy, please buy some blue suede driving shoes. But my favorite thing on this list of what to buy the man who has everything is a Gibson Les Paul guitar, okay? Yeah, that's really expensive. (laughs) I'm not just, I mean, I guess maybe if you are a person who has a lot of money, buying a gift for someone who else has a lot of money, that's not a big deal, but that's kind of a big deal. That's a big purchase, okay? And so Forbes said, these are some things to buy the man who has everything. And my question is, why is it so difficult sometimes to buy gifts for people like that? Okay, I want you to have that in your mind. Why is it so difficult to buy gifts for people like that or whoever you're thinking about in your mind? It might be an in-law, your wife, your husband, whoever it is. Why is it so difficult to buy them gifts sometimes? We're going to return to that in a minute. So before we get back to that, We're going to go back to James, and we're going to clarify what James is talking about in this text here in James 1, 9 through 11, okay? He's comparing these two different people, right? The humble and the rich. If you look in verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride. In verse 10, he says, the rich should take pride in their humiliation. He is talking about humble and rich, and we can 
between the lines, he's talking about poor and he's talking about rich. But there's more to this, right? This is not an um, anomaly, right, for Scripture. This is not unusual. Jesus talks about this a lot. Again, I tell you, this is in Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money like we are sometimes. Matthew 6, 24, this is Jesus again. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus has said things about money over and over again. And here we have excuse me, James talking about the humble, talking about maybe poor, and he's talking about the rich, meaning wealthy, right? But this is not unusual. And just like you might you know, already understand, money is not inherently bad, okay? I'm not going to get up here and say that money is, is, is just a terrible, terrible thing, because you can do a lot of good things with money, right? You can donate to the food pantry. Like, like Adam said, you can donate to the youth ministry. You could even donate to send some kids to camp, which if you have any interest in that, please talk to me after church today, okay? We have people who need scholarships, and that would be helpful. Okay, but money is not inherently bad, but I think about this, and fire is not inherently bad either, Right? If you go camping, it's cold outside, one of the first things you want to do is build a good fire, right? Have you ever been camping without a fire and it's cold outside? It is miserable, okay? We went camping in Florida in like January or February and it got below 60 degrees and I was wearing blue jeans and like a hoodie while I slept in my sleeping bag. It was miserable. So fire is not inherently bad, but what is bad is a forest fire, right? It's not a good thing, typically, when forest fires happen. So if we track this metaphor between fire and money, to me, the bottom line when things become bad is when those things start to consume everything in its path. Right? Fire on its own, good. Forest fire, bad. It's consuming everything in its path. Money, not necessarily bad, but when it starts to consume, that's when things get tricky. Are you with me? At the end of the day, the problem in these scenarios is that consumption, and when it comes to money, it becomes a consumption of identity. Okay, the problem is when our identity is not found in Jesus, when our, when our identity is found outside of Jesus, that's when things get tricky. And like I said, James is not just talking about money being a bad, bad thing. It's talking about anybody and anything that takes your identity outside of being found in Christ. Whatever defines you outside of Jesus that consumes your being, that's the problem. It's not just a money problem, it's a human problem. And James describes this as happening kind of in the background, which is kind of scary as I read this text. Let's read it again. Verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, excuse me, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Right? It doesn't say, you know, one day they're going to wake up and immediately it's going to be over. No, it, there's this fading process almost as if it's happening without you noticing it's happening as they go about their business. They fade away while it's business as usual. 
And like I said, the scary part is that it's not just a rich person problem. If I'm finding my identity outside of Christ, I am falling into this trap right here, okay? If you find your identity in your job and you can't pull yourself away, even if it's not making you tons and tons of money, okay? If you find your identity in that place, you're going to be falling into this trap right here. You will fade away and go about your business as if nothing's actually happening to you. When you find yourself being defined by something else, you are going to fade and you're going to go about business as usual and you're not going to realize there's a problem until there's a serious problem. It's a normal person problem, okay? I'm taking this out of the context. I can't say this enough. We're taking the money side out of this. It's a person-human problem. We all have the ability to fall into this trap. And so we return to this man, okay? The man who has everything. His candles, his fires, his goblets, whatever that is. And I've gotten to the point where I think it's hard to buy stuff for this guy because even if you buy him these gold cheese knives, even if you buy him the blue suede driving shoes, even if you buy him a Gibson Les Paul custom guitar, all those things are just things, right? You buy a man who has things, more things, what's he probably going to do with those things? They're going to go into storage somewhere. Right? We even have these problems as normal people, right? We got attics full of stuff. We got basements, not necessarily here, full of stuff. We got storage units full of stuff. It's hard to buy him things because he could go out and buy them himself. He's used to just getting everything that he wants. He doesn't need you as part of the equation, right? He doesn't need you to go onto Amazon. He can go onto Amazon. He doesn't need you. And the thing is, is that we all trick ourselves into thinking that we are self-sufficient, we don't need anything. We even do this sometimes with church and we do this with our worship as well. Because in every other part of our lives, we're pretty sufficient. Just like I said, I can, there's things, I can talk to my Alexa and get Alexa order me more goldfish. And in two days, maybe not even two days, maybe that same exact day, there could be goldfish at my door by speaking to a robot in my house. That's pretty self-sufficient. I don't have to even pick up my phone. I don't have to get in my car. I don't have to do anything but say, Alexa, order more goldfish. Everything that we do, it just seems that we can provide for ourselves. We have jobs that provide us an income. We have friends that provide us relationships. We go through this life sometimes and we think that we're so self-sufficient, we don't realize how much we actually need Christ and we end up being just like this guy who doesn't need anything, right? And it even happens with church and with worship. Church just becomes another cog in our fallacy of self-sufficiency. It's just another thing that we do to provide for ourselves. And I'm not just talking about the check-the-box mentality. It's like I come here, I take and I take. I take communion, I take in the worship, I take in the message, and then I go home and I do nothing with it. Church can become another cog in this fallacy of self-sufficiency. Just another way of doing something for myself. Just another way to embody this idea of business as usual. Why do you go to church? Because I just go to church. That's a problem. It's a problem when this just becomes a routine. It's a problem when this becomes business as usual. I don't know if I've ever heard that term used in a good way. Have you? Business as usual? Usually that means bad things are happening, we're just sweeping it under the rug. 
That's not good when it comes to church. We cannot have this mentality. We cannot allow ourselves to fall into this trap of business as usual. And my question is, why is the business as usual mindset unacceptable? It's not, I, was, I went on, so my first phrasing was, why is the business as usual mindset bad? Right? And I was like, that, we need more to that. Because it's not just bad, you know. I think some, you know, foods are bad. <laughs> this is unacceptable, right? Why is it unacceptable? The first reason why I think it's unacceptable is that it creates complacency. And we talk about this a lot in church, this idea of nothingness. You know, an empty vessel going to the church, dropping my kids off at class, or dropping myself, my body off at class, and just sitting in class. Maybe I'll add to the discussion, maybe I won't. And then I'm going to leave class, I'm going to walk into the other room, and then I'm going to sit in these other chairs and do the exact same thing. And then I'm going to get out of this chair, and then I'm going to walk out the doors, and that's it. If you read the first few chapters of Acts, that doesn't seem like what they were doing when they found out that the Holy Spirit was part of their lives. No. And the reason why I bring up this as the first problem is because I think this is an individual problem. It is an inward problem where we are complacent, where it's almost impossible for us to do anything at all. Right? Every single task, even just coming to church, sometimes seems like a mountain because it's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't have any friends there. I don't have anything to do there. Da, 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 da. All these different excuses. But it's just this feeling of I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. So therefore, I won't do anything. And that's a problem. It is impossible sometimes to feel like you can get out of this. And that's why I think this is the first problem. This is why this business as usual mindset is unacceptable because it creates complacency. And the unfortunate part is when you have a collection of people who are all complacent, it, it makes innovation impossible. It makes it impossible for the collective church to do anything good. Because if we have a whole bunch of people coming together who are complacent, do you think the church is going to do anything? Probably not. If I have an entire starting lineup for my basketball team and they all have torn meniscus and ACLs, we're probably not going to score very many points. That's the exact same mentality when the church is all full of complacent people who don't want to do anything. Nobody's going to do anything. You know, and then it's like we got a few people who are doing a lot, and then they're like, I don't want to do anything anymore, so then they become complacent. And it's like, what are we even doing here? It's an endless cycle that seems to be really daunting and seems to be impossible to overcome. And the scary part about it is if we look in James chapter 1, it kind of just happens subtly. It fades in as the people fade out. And so I guess the counter to that is, is you know, okay, cool. It's, it's, it's unacceptable for me to be complacent. It's unacceptable that we can't, you know, that we, we, we want to innovate. We want to do more for our communities. Just like Adam was talking about in, in his communion prayer, that this isn't just something that we, we, when we collect money, it's not just for us. It's supposed to be for everything, right? It's supposed to be for our community so that we can show Christ to anybody who comes into contact with anybody in our church. And I, can't, and I don't want to come too hard down, okay? I don't want to come across too harsh. 
but it's not just the leadership and the staff's responsibility to do ministry. Like, we desperately need your networks so that we can go into those networks and see where we can be a light to other people. You say, oh, the church isn't doing what I want them to do. Oh, the church doesn't have this ministry. Well, what ministry do you want to do and, and, and be the champion of and get other people to come along with you? Because I don't know the people that you know. I don't know the communities that you know. It is not my responsibility. It is not Natasha's, whoever the leadership is. It is not our responsibility to say, this is the program, this is the leader, now go and do. We need you desperately to innovate and to make this community a shining light for Christ in, in, in our world, not just our community. We desperately need your networks so that we can continue to do the work of Christ. So this is a challenge. This is extremely challenging because I don't want us to be a church full of these guys. We don't have everything. We got to stop acting like we do. We got to stop acting like we're self-sufficient where we don't need to find our identity in Christ because people are going to start noticing that we don't have it figured out if we act like we do. Business as usual is not acceptable. And again, I don't want to, and I'm kind of passionate right now because I feel that this has been not only an issue in our church, but in churches, the, you know, church as a whole. We cannot keep to ourselves. Yes, we need to (laughs) build each other up and encourage each other, but if we keep to ourselves, we're not doing the work that Christ has called us to do. So I want to pray this morning, and I want to just encourage you all not to say, this is, you are bad, this, you're doing a bad job, but to say, let's continue to see how we can innovate and work together to make a difference in our community today for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for uh, giving us your son, Jesus. I thank you that there's so many people in this room that have so many different networks, so many people that they trust and they know that they, they, they might see something or a ministry that they might want to do. Help them to know that they have the support of a church and help the support to be there when they call on it and ask for it. Help us to not be a complacent group of people who lack initiative, who lack the motivation to continue to do Help us to be those who are carrying your name with honor and integrity and just with joy. Help us to be joyful. This morning, I I just want to continue to encourage those who are doing so much because it's hard. And I want to encourage those who might not be as involved to be involved. Help us to be a light to our community today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before I close, I I do want to just say there are places right now where you can be of service, okay? The youth ministry needs people. Natasha needs teachers, okay? And you might be saying, well, I don't teach well. I don't know enough. Kids scare me. Those are terrible excuses. You can laugh at that because they're bad excuses. Ray's back there. (laughs) We should all clap for Ray, honestly. Thank you. Um, if you're watching on the live stream, you should be saying, thank you, Ray, for making it possible for me to hear most, like, it's hard. <laughs> he needs people, and that's such an easy job back there. Just to, Ray can teach you how to do it. 
Don't be afraid. Yeah, and we got more people wanting to be involved. But don't just say, I don't want to. It's not okay. And I don't mean to sound harsh. I don't mean to sound like I'm coming down on you and, and, and telling you that you're bad. But we need people to step up and be of service. If you have a need at all, we want to know what it is so that we can pray for it. If you want to be involved, come talk to me. We'll get you involved. If you have a ministry that you're saying, I think it'd be really cool if we could do whatever, talk to me. Okay? Let's get it going. Because together we can do so much more than we can do individually. Let's stand and sing as we continue to pray gospel.